0: Our summer series, Rascals, Renegades and Radicals. And I wonder which one you are. Uh, a rascal, a renegade or uh, a radical. And uh, dads, uh, probably in your history you've been all three, I would imagine. And if we were to ask your kids, uh, they might tell us uh, uh, some great stories about your life. But this is our summer series. Uh, the tagline is the people that God puts to work. So that's really cool. You know, uh, you you may have been a rascal at one point, a renegade, but um, God is determined um, to invite us into his work. And and that includes you. And, uh, you know, really, if we go way back to the, the beginning of the Bible, and, and at the river we always do that. We go back to, to the start, to Genesis 1, and we discover in Genesis 1, that God is the creator. He created everything. He created the earth. I mean, a gorgeous, beautiful place that we live. All the plants, all the animals, and then his crowning glory, he created a man and a woman. And he stepped back from that creation, and he said, it is very good. It is so important in the world that we live in today that we remind ourselves often that God's plan is very good. But you just turn a couple pages in the Bible, and you discover that the man and the woman ball up their fists and rebel against God. We call that the fall. They fell away from an intimate relationship with God, and God's plan went south. It went all bad. But God doesn't give up. God made a decision that he was going to continue his very good plan. It was going to be a program of restoration. He's going to fix the things that are wrong. He's going to make all things right. God is committed to our flourishing in this world. So that's the big idea for this whole summer, really. And certainly the big idea for this morning, God has a plan. And there's nothing that will stop God's plan from coming to fruition. I want you to hear me again. Nothing will stop God's plan. Now, I could go on with a theological argument all through Scripture about that reality. But I think the story of Joseph does it better. And so I want to tell that story this morning. And I want you to pay attention to two threads through the story of Joseph. One is the sovereignty of God, and the second is the formation of Joseph's character. And the two of them go together. God has a sovereign plan. And when it means Uh, uh, that God is sovereign, it means that he has the ability and the power to make his will happen. In other words, nothing can stop God's will in this world. But the second thread is Joseph's character. And I want you to pay attention to that because God has a plan. It's a very good plan, but it's going to be worked out through spiritually formed people. That's what God is about In Joseph's life. You remember just reviewing the key people in the book of Genesis. There's Abraham and God said to Abraham, I'm going to create a family around you. And then through your family, I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to give you a land and blessing will flow through you. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons and Joseph was number 12 And the Bible tells us that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Okay, just a little dad advice. If you've got 12 sons, don't pick one as the favorite. And if you do, keep it to yourself, right? It doesn't go well in the family if you choose to go down that road. And we meet Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. So I want to invite you, take your Bibles. I want you to follow along. We're going to be flying pretty high and going through Joseph's life, but it'll be fun if you kind of follow along because you can look at your scripture and think much faster than I can talk. So this will be uh, really cool. Genesis 37, we meet Joseph and he's 17 years old. Just a young kid. 17. I remember 17. 17 was such a great year. I loved my 17th year. My 17th year, I was a senior in high school. I finally surrendered to God's work in my life. I gave my life to Jesus, and I was baptized, and I started living for him. I graduated from high school. It was just the best time. Is there someone who's 17 in the room right now? Anyone? 17? Okay, no, are you 18? Okay, L- Lindsay, will you just stand up for us? Come on, I, I want you to see an 18-year-old. Right there. <laughs> Lindsay could have been Joseph's girlfriend. It would have been a little weird. She's one year older, but, <laughs> but both graduating at the same time. Lindsay, thank you very much. There, here's our, here's our model today. Keep Lindsay in your mind and in your heart. 17, edge of adulthood so much of life in front of you. But let's face it, you go back to when you were 17 and compare where you're at now today, you know there's a lot of formation that has to happen in us, a lot of stuff that needs to be worked out as we grow and mature. I mean, that's the way it is. In our 20s and 30s, really, we're just setting the table. You wait to your 40s, and then the feasts can begin to come. And it takes a lot of patience through those decades, as we'll see in Joseph's life. So Right away in the story of Joseph, we're told that he and his brothers are with the sheep out tending these herds. They're working away. And Joseph comes back home and gives a bad report about his brothers to his dad. You know, maybe a little immature, maybe kind of a, a, a tattletale sort of setting, and it doesn't go well with his brothers at all. And then dad makes a decision. Because Joseph is his favorite, he makes a leadership decision and he gives Joseph this famous, ornate, fancy, multicolored robe. And he's telling Joseph and his brothers something about their relationship. See, the, the, the long sleeve robe that goes all the way down to the ground, beautiful, ornate robe, it's telling Joseph and the brothers, You're moving out of labor, Joseph, and into management. In fact, you're going to be in charge of your brothers. I'm passing my birthright on to you as the youngest of the 12. And the brothers were so upset about that. Broken relationship. No more communication. And then Joseph goes to bed and has these dreams. Strange dreams. And in the middle of his dreams, he pictures his mom and his dad and all of his brothers bowing down to him. It's an amazing kind of dream. But the amazing thing is, is when Joseph woke up and was at breakfast with his family, he told them his dream. You you know, you're all someday going to bow down to me. 17-year-old little punk, you know, telling his mom, his dad, all his brothers, and the brothers hated him all the more. The jealousy was rife in their family. It wasn't going well. But maybe this is a call to leadership. Maybe somehow God is beginning to give a picture to Joseph about his future and his role in this very good plan, this this restoration project. But Joseph's going to have to grow. He's going to have to mature. He's going to have to go through some tests of his character along the way before that can happen. So in the middle of chapter 37, Jacob sends uh, Joseph on a mission. Because the brothers had taken all the herds. Joseph had been at home, maybe balancing the books, a few startups or other business endeavors while the brothers are still out with the sheep in the fields. And the brothers took the sheep to Shechem. It's, it's 50 miles away. It's a four to five day journey for Joseph. And so dad sends Joseph, I want you to check on the welfare of the brothers and, and, and bring back. Let, let me know. So Joseph makes the trek out to Shechem, and the brothers are gone, but he sees a guy, says, hey, have you seen my brothers, a lot of sheep, you know? Uh, Well, they were here, but a couple days ago, they left, and they went on to the town of Dothan, which is 14 miles further. At this point, Joseph had a choice in his relationship with his brothers and his dad. He could have said, okay, the guy said they're okay, they're 14 miles further, I've done my job. I'm not going that. I'm not, I'm not going the extra mile. I'm going back home. But no, Joseph, he went the 14 extra miles to check on the welfare of his brothers. And maybe we get a picture of a young man who's beginning to want to shift the trajectory of the family that is so dysfunctional and broken. And he says, you know, I'm going to do the right thing. And he goes the extra mile. But the brothers see Joseph coming from a distance, and they decide, this is our opportunity to do him in. They grab him, they beat him up, they take this multicolored robe off him and throw him into a pit. And then sit down to a meal to decide what they're gonna do. They wanna kill him. But in their conversation, they decide, maybe the better move is we'll kill a goat, we'll sprinkle the blood on the coat, we'll take the coat back to dad and say, it looks like some wild animals got Joseph, is this his coat? And then they see some slave traders going by on their way to Egypt, and they think, ah, here's the plan. Let's sell Joseph to the slave traders, and we'll be done with him. Give dad the bloodied coat, and we'll have him out of our lives. So Joseph now is sold as a slave on his way to Egypt. They sold him to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Think of it, 17 years old. Your brothers hate you. They want to kill you. So instead what they do is you are now sold as a slave into a brand new country that you've never visited before, a different culture a different language and you're thinking, wait a minute, God, I was taught my whole life that your plan was good and this doesn't feel good at all. I imagine maybe you've been in that kind of a situation and maybe it's in your family, this jealousy that kind of uh, tripped each of them up and caused them to not be for one another, but instead to be against one another. I can imagine Joseph was asking God, can you please tell me about these dreams? But I want you to jump to chapter 39 and notice verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. We can never forget that. But the Lord was with Joseph as a slave in Potiphar's house. Yes, that thread of God's sovereign plan was still at work, even though everything about Joseph's experience told him that God had forgotten him. And it goes on to tell us that when he was working for Potiphar in his house, he was successful in everything he did for Potiphar. Somehow he had this sort of gift, this innate uh, movement toward leadership and organization and figuring things out. And rather than being upset, he went to work as a slave for Potiphar. Verse 6, 39. He says, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. But here's where the story turns. Notice verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. He was a looker, young guy, physically fit, probably athletic, all this leadership, genes oozing out of him, well-built and handsome. And as you might expect, the story tells us that his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Verse 8, Joseph refused. He said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Potiphar's wife persisted day after day. Oh, come on, Joseph. No, no, no. Hey, my husband's on a long trip. He won't be around. Joseph, you won't get caught. It, it's okay. Come on. Besides, it's true love. Joseph continued to say no. In fact, one day he came in the house. The husband's gone. She grabs his cloak. And he does the smart thing. Says Joseph ran and left the cloak behind. And as happens, this so-called love turned into hate very quickly, and she screams out, Rape! This foreigner is trying to rape me. And they hold him. They keep him until Potiphar comes home from his trip, and he is so enraged that he takes Joseph and throws him into the prison. Lock him away. Thrown into prison for a rape he never committed innocent of the crime having done the right thing he ends up in prison but again verse 21 of chapter 39 the lord was with joseph showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden so joseph was put in charge of everyone in the prison just like everything he touched turned to gold And he began to understand what is so vital for us to continue to remind ourselves. The Lord is with us in the pit and in the prison. So the Lord was with Joseph and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of everyone in the prison. And the Lord gave him success in whatever he did. And in chapter 40, we discover that he is in charge of two key prisoners, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. The cupbearer is the guy who would sip the wine before it was given to the pharaoh in case someone had poisoned it, and so the cupbearer would die first before the pharaoh. Very important relationship between the pharaoh. And the the, the chief baker, well, he was in charge of... um, Twinkies and cupcakes and donuts and those sort of things, Uh, uh, all the breads for the pharaoh. And evidently, they both had offended the pharaoh and had ended up in prison with Joseph, and he is now supervising them. And they, at sleep at night, one evening, both have dreams, very strange dreams, and they can't understand them at all, and no one in the prison can interpret them But Joseph responds in verse 8. Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And so the cupbearer and the baker tell Joseph their dreams. Now, I find dreams kind of funny because I don't feel like I dream that often. But my dear wife, Cynthia, she thinks dreams are really significant. And I just think, no, they're silly. It just means I had tacos the night before. But I think you've got a thing here, Cynthia, that the dreams seem to be very significant, that maybe God was communicating through these dreams. So I'm going to pay more attention to your interpretation. Okay, so be be ready. So they tell their dreams to Joseph, and he gives them the interpretation. Now, the uh, cupbearer, you're going to be released from prison and given your job back and uh, the chief baker, you're also going to be released from prison, but you're going to be permanently retired, if you know what I mean, because there's younger people in the room. You will not have your job anymore or your life. And then Joseph says to the cupbearer, I'm reading verse 14 in chapter 40. Joseph says to the cupbearer, when all goes well with you, remember me, show kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. The cupbearer gets out of prison. And the story tells us that he promptly forgot all about Joseph. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 41, it says he forgot him for a long, long time. At least two full years, the cupbearer had forgotten all about Joseph. And there he is languishing in prison. Someone he had helped. Someone he'd written a letter of recommendation for had now turned on him, had completely forgotten him. And I can imagine Joseph, lonely, wondering, God, where are you? I thought you were supposed to be good. I'm forgotten by friends that I've helped, forgotten probably by God. I think that's often the turning point in our lives when things go south for us we can easily begin to blame other people and then we look up to God and our blame shifts toward him and bitterness can set in. God, what about the dreams? This doesn't feel like a good plan to me. Now, Joseph doesn't know it, but while he's in prison, the pharaoh has some dreams as well. And in his dream... He sees seven fat cows coming up out of the Nile River and grazing on the shore. And his dream continues. Then he sees seven skinny gaunt cows also coming up out of the river. And then they go, this sounds like a nightmare, but they go and gobble up and eat the fat cows. And he is perplexed. What could this possibly mean? and none of the magicians none of the wise men in Egypt can give him any hint as to what this dream means and he's super frustrated and all of a sudden the cupbearer goes oh wait a minute there is this guy back in prison that knew how to interpret dreams it's as if he had some kind of relationship with a supernatural power that gave him wisdom to interpret dreams and pharaoh said Go get the guy. So it's a day like any other day for Joseph. Going through his daily work as a supervisor in the prison. And all of a sudden, someone comes in and says, the Pharaoh wants you in his office right now. And like that, Joseph comes out, he shaves, he changes his clothes, and he is now standing before Pharaoh. At this point, the most powerful man, on the planet. And Pharaoh says, I understand you know how to interpret dreams. I've had a dream. I want you to interpret it for me. And Joseph says in verse 16, I cannot do it. Notice his perspective. Notice the humility that has been forged in his life. But God will give Pharaoh the interpretation. And here's the interpretation. God has told you what he's about to do. God's sovereign plan is unfolding in the country of Egypt. The seven fat cows represent seven years of plenty. And the seven skinny cows represent seven years of famine. And Joseph not only had an interpretation, but somehow this young man had a plan in his back pocket. And he dares to make a suggestion to Pharaoh as to what he should do. Verse 33, now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt and appoint commissioners in each city to collect the grain during the years of plenty and store it for the seven years of famine. Pharaoh goes, man, that is a good plan. Where am I going to find a wise man like you described? And you can just see Pharaoh lock his eyes on Joseph, the wheels beginning to turn, and he says, wait a minute, you're the guy, you're the guy I want to appoint to oversee this whole project. Can you imagine the turn of events in this guy's life? He wakes up in the morning in a dungeon, and now by noon, he's appointed to be second in command over the whole land of Egypt. Verse 40, you shall be in charge of my palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph's story, the pit, to the prison, to the palace. He's given signet rings from the Pharaoh, robes of fine linen and a gold chain around his neck, some bling everywhere. He rides in a chariot, and people are to shout, Make way, make way for Joseph. He's in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph's now 30 years old. It's the first time he's worn nice clothes since he was 17 and beat up by his brothers. But I want you to know something that's not in the story there's no bitterness in the story. Because I think if I was in Joseph's shoes, I might have set up a meeting right quickly with the cupbearer and said, dude, what is up with forgetting about me? I think I might have sent maybe a Secret Service detail over to Mrs. Potiphar's house (laughs) and had a conversation with her and maybe even a military detail and send him back to the land of Canaan to take care of his brother's. He had all the power to do it, but it's not there. It's not in the story at all. So the seven years of plenty happen. They store all the food, and then the famine sets in. And notice this thread of the sovereign plan of the Almighty God, verse 57 of chapter 41. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe, Everywhere Now watch God's plan unfold. Jacob is at home watching his brother sit around starving to death. And Jacob says, what are you doing sitting here? Get on your donkeys and get down to Egypt and buy us some food. They have no idea what they're going to discover. The brothers come to Egypt. They usher them into the place where they can buy grain. And there is Joseph standing, and they don't recognize him. But he recognizes them. These are my brothers. It's been years. And the brothers bow down in front of Joseph and beg him for food. This is a dream he received at 17. He's probably at least 37 by now. And the dream that percolated in that teenage brain and heart and mind is now coming to fulfillment in a way he could have never, ever dreamed up or imagined. Chapters 42, 43, and 44 is this amazing working out of God's plan, using Joseph to squeeze the brothers and get them to acknowledge and recognize a decade-old sin and to confess and have clean and pure hearts. God will wait 20 years for us to surrender. He's patient, but his plan is going to come to fruition in ways we can't even imagine. Well, The plan was successful. It is worth its own study. But finally, Joseph decides that as he looks into the hearts of his brothers who do not know who he is, it's time to reveal himself to his brothers. And I want to read for you from chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard all about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Imagine what they might be thinking at that moment. But get Joseph's reply. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Do you see that perspective? For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. The sovereign plan of God is becoming a reality through a spiritually formed person. It'd be so great to just look at the life of Joseph through the life of Jesus because Joseph is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. We started in Genesis chapter 1, but now I finish in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19, the last chapter of this book. So Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph was a rascal at 17, but he was a radical at 40 because he'd been formed through the fire. He'd been tested. His character had been proved. Joseph was radical in his forgiveness, giving us a hint and a picture of the forgiveness that Jesus would one day offer to us on the cross. I want to remind you, God has a plan Trust that God will work out his plan in your situation. Evil may, evil will come our way, but God will create goodness out of that evil. In the pit, the prison, even the palace, it won't stop God's plan. And the journey is vital. The journey we're on now, whether it's the pit or the prison or the palace, the journey is vital toward getting to the destination. It requires patience and trust. I want to have the band come up. Come on up, guys. Where's that Brad guy? Go get Brad. We're going to come in a moment to the table and Joseph's life is a wonderful invitation to this table I want to ask you some questions and so I don't want to tell you what to do but I want to invite you just to close your eyes just a a moment of, of just reflecting on Joseph I want to ask a couple questions what dream is God percolating in you I want to encourage you this morning. Don't give up. This is personal, but how's it going in your family? I imagine there are some dads here that feel the pain of estrangement from their children, from a spouse. Joseph shows us a way. He went through the jealousy test. Let me ask about your sexual integrity. Joseph faced the temptation over and over again, and certainly not just from Mrs. Potiphar, but probably in the palace many times over. Joseph had to go through the purity test. I just wonder if maybe you've been forgotten by some friends that you helped. You feel betrayed or abandoned? misunderstood, and Joseph certainly had to go through the waiting test, as we will too. Maybe the primary purpose of his spiritual formation through the test that God allowed him to go through was to creating Joseph the ability to forgive, the willingness to forgive his brothers, the ability to stand as one who would anticipate the forgiveness that Jesus would give to us. I just wonder, is there someone that you need to forgive? Maybe this morning, maybe when you leave, write a letter, have a cup of coffee with someone. Or between you and God, just do the hard work to say, God, I forgive. We're able to forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. And that's why we come to this table. The bread represents Jesus' broken body. And as we eat it, we recognize that his brokenness was for us. We also eat it because we know that in this life, we end up broken as well. And we can cling to Jesus. So we dip the bread in the juice, the fruit of the grape, the vine. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so we dip. and We thank Jesus for his shed blood. And we know that oftentimes the pathway that we walk includes our own shed blood. He sees it, he knows it, and God has a good plan, and he's working it out for you. So when you're ready, as the band plays, take your time. There's two tables. Take bread, dip, and in remembrance of Jesus, partake. Amen.